Could you start in verse 13 and read us through to verse through the end of verse 16? I certainly can. I give you charge in the sight of God, who quickeneth all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that you keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show, who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man has seen nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. So does anybody feel up to recap what we went over last week? <laughs> I can. I, Lauren was there, although I don't know if she said anything. <laughs> I she was in and out. Okay. She was very quiet. <laughs> um, yeah, so most of what we focused on was, you know, that the, the last part of verse 15, which was on, you know, in reference to Christ as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we talked about um, what that means in terms of the way that governments operate and how God interacts with humanity in order to influence events. So I guess that we talk about like where, I guess where our free will ends and where providence begins and stuff like that. Did you talk about that much or? Um, we didn't address the question directly, 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 right. um, but we, it, it was certainly touched upon in, and certainly the topic of free will was brought up. Um, and one illustration that I really like is we can either view God as like a, like a, a Mason, you know, where he's, he's putting every block into place individually or as um, a symphony conductor. So all of the, you know, all of the individual players are playing their parts, but he's the one that's, you know, queuing up, you know, everything and making everything work together. So I think, you know, if you're just a brick, then you don't have free will. But if you're a, you know, if you're a violin player, then you, you have, you have the choice about how you interact. And even if one, you know, individual plays their part poorly or plays the wrong part, then the rest of the orchestra can still work without that. Very good. And then it says, uh, it says that, um, who alone is immortal. And in reference to the verse before, I'm wondering what he is trying to point out by that, because obviously God is immortal, but what is he, what is he trying to get at, I guess? So last week we also brought up, we dived in, we dove in, <laughs> boy, we dove into um, the title, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and how if you were walking down the street of Ephesus, you would see, I mean, literally everywhere, like if you were in New York Times Square, right? You're going to see all this advertising. And here you're going to see advertising of the Greek gods or the Roman version of the gods. You're going to see the emperor who they believed was a god. And so it's this billboard propaganda kind of environment. Hmm. And obviously those gods they feel are immortal. And if you're trying to talk about a monotheistic God who is the true God and 
is immortal. I think that's one of the key elements that um, it ties into. At least when I read it, that's what I see. Yeah, there's definitely this um, assumption or understanding within the Roman Empire that the whoever was the emperor is immortal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think uh, to to emphasize that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords that is a that is a shot at the emperor by himself. I mean, I mean himself. And so, I mean, you have to understand like when, <laughs> yeah, Paul's writing this from Rome as well. And if this like is if this letter is confiscated or whatever, I mean, you wonder what kind of uh, implications are. I don't know that Paul cares at this point, you know, like, I think he's just, um, he's just, he knows his kind of his destiny and maybe he's committed to that no matter what. And he's, and he's going to, this brings up an important point. We kind of talked about it a little bit last night in our prayer group, but just like when to, when to actually speak up and, and say something, because I I think that part of the, um, part of our, our church is to kind of be a little bit passive and let things happen and, and um, don't say anything, don't be too loud. And that's not really Paul's approach, at least in that verse. He's just like, (laughs) he kind of sticks it to the emperor himself, you know? Uh, it's part of his character traits too i mean he was that way before he was converted and it's still very bold even after he's converted yeah Um, but like you said i never thought about that you know where he's writing this and what he's saying in this letter could be um taken wrongly if it was intercepted but then you got to think god's hands on this yeah, I mean, we have it today. I think that's pretty yeah. amazing. Um, yeah. Anything else that's coming out of the immortality? I thought it was interesting because I don't know about other facets of their environment or their mythological gods, but, you know, in our culture, we have so much... Um, in the way of entertainment that portrays immortality is just rampant, right? Vampires, angels, demons. And they're all, well, I mean, even in um, interactions with mediums and, you know, things like that, uh, there's this um, very deep rooted river of immortality in our culture. And I started thinking even the, even the angels and the demons can die, but we seem to like coat that over and apply immortality to them and all these different uh, avenues. And I know people seek it themselves um, a lot of the times, I guess, but it, I just, it kind of just struck me when I was reading it. I was like, Satan himself, is going to succumb to that final judgment. Yeah, I mean, if, if anything has a beginning, then it has an end, which is um, kind of leading into the, to the rest of the verse, maybe it's just like God is actually something, he says it's unseeable, but on some level it's like un, uncomprehendable, 
uh, God is like the, the, the idea of immortality, that it has no beginning and end. Everything we know has a beginning and end. Think about it. There's nothing that we've ever seen that there's no way we can actually comprehend what that is. Right. How can there be no beginning? Right? Like you could, we could, for me, it's an easier concept to understand that something doesn't have an end because we've actually been kind of saturated with the idea that, well, um, we have immortality in Christ, right? But to, for something to have no beginning, I, what, what? Like, I don't, yeah, I don't, I can't quite even wrap my mind around that. It has to have a beginning. One of those mysteries of godliness, right? Yeah, like it's bizarre. It just points to God as the creator, though, right? Because he gives the life, he sustains the life, and he can take the life. Um, My head hurts trying to think about that. How does something <laughs> have a beginning? A circle? I, I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to try and explain how something can't have a beginning, but at the same time, logically, you know, and I'm sure Jake is familiar with this argument, but for those of you that aren't, um, there's this idea of the unmoved mover as like a philosophical proof for the existence of some immortal di divinity. And the argument is that if anything starts, there had to be something that started it. Right. Well, if you, you know, if you keep working back through the progression, you can't have a, a chain of starts that takes some finite amount of time you can't have an infinite number of those or there would be no beginning to time itself yeah. you know you would never advance to where we are so there had to be some beginning to that chain of starts or chain of movement so to speak and that that original thing that caused the first movement is the so-called unmoved mover right right so again, I'm not comf I, I, I'm not even going to begin to try and explain because I have no idea myself how, how is it that God could not have a beginning because we, we, we exist within this continuum of time, right? And for us, everything moves sequentially, chronologically. Right. But God exists outside of that limitation of our existence. But, but comes into it right has the ability to come into time but lives yeah outside of it and right. i think yeah yeah well and something we, something we touched on right at the very end of last week with regard to this question of immortality because anson wanted to just skip verse 15 entirely and jump right into this um god you know god alone has immortality but he adopted a mortal form you know at the incarnation so he willingly gave up his immortality for us which again we can't really comprehend what immortality itself is to its fullest extent we can and we we can comprehend unidirectional immortality i guess immortality moving forward but we can't really comprehend you know full immortality as we've right. just been discussing but but god gave it up for us yeah yeah and this is, you know, one of the deceptions that Satan hides is the immortality, right? You can be like God. You can, you're not going to surely die. I mean, I, I think that 
that once Adam and Eve were created, I think immortality began for them. But that's but that's the idea of our immortality be versus God's, and I guess that's that's why we can comprehend something with a beginning and or something without an end, but something with a beginning. And um, that's kind of what they gave up by actually seeking that out, seeking more um, than what they'd already been given. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what, what do we get from uh, inapproachable, unapproachable light is what mine says. Fascinating. Um, it makes me think of um, where Moses is like, God, I want to see your glory to put him in the cleft of the rock and like hold his hand there and i think of i think of the glory which um no like we can't look upon because it's too perfect or complete or holy or something and we're not and so it would obliterate us so that's what i think of i think in contrast to well not maybe not contrast but in addition to that, I think of Revelation when he is returning and it's talking about the new Jerusalem and how that light will emanate. It's even brighter than the sun. Um, and to be able to stand in that at the end, I mean, I can't wait for that. That's exciting. Because you're, I mean, not because the, you know, bright light, but because you're in his presence, finally. So what about uh, what about the the guards at the tomb, right? When Jesus is resurrected, and they're just like they're basically like they look like dead people. It said, and I was just like, that was a baller move, God. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, like like what 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 we don't have much um, how God. The, the the method or sort of the mode but but still like it's it's kind of this thing that we can't really comprehend how how he came back to life yeah that's the first thing that came to my mind was moses but also just yeah several things and, and even jesus being resurrected and, and also um uh, the the bright light that blinds Paul, you know, we know it's Christ, but also like, I mean, there is something to that where, you know, he's blinded for, for three days, you know, um, and I don't know. Yeah, anyway. I, I think, uh, sorry, Jonah. Oh, I was just going to say this, this idea of, uh, and you, you can call it whatever you want, I guess, but like light or glory being associated with human interactions with divinity is actually replete throughout the Bible, right? And, you know, you could go back to Moses at Sinai. Um, I've heard some people make a reasonably compelling case that Adam and Eve were actually clothed with this same light, you know, before they realized their nakedness. Um, but it goes beyond that, you know, when you know, in the, in the sanctuary structure, the, it was only the high priest that entered into the most holy place once a year. And he couldn't go in until the whole room had been filled with smoke so that the light was obscured, right? Because the light that was, you know, the Shekinah glory, glory. that yeah. dwelt, you know, 
on the mercy seat was so bright that he would, you know, be this destroyed effectively. <laughs> he would be killed That's if, so awesome. that, if that light, if there wasn't, you know, that cloud of incense that was, you know, covering the light to a certain extent. And again, when Moses came down off of Mount Sinai, right, you know, the people told him, put a veil over your face, right? Because you, we can't look at your face. <laughs> You know, and again, Jesus, you know, it, and we see it in the New Testament, too, at the Transfiguration. Yeah. You know, where Jesus's face shone. And again, we see this kind of the same thing with Paul. Saul. Is that a light? Like a, it's a, it's a, it's a byproduct of the release of mass amounts of energy, isn't it? Isn't that what it is? And so... I don't know it just makes me think since i'm in the sciences studying the sciences I don't know, it makes me think about like what that what light actually means and like this on you know like we can split an atom and just destroy and obliterate things within you know i mean i don't know the mileage but like within huge amounts of miles and that's just from one little atom and so I don't know it just makes me think about like how god is just this energy source that is like un unrestricted uncontained um i don't know if that has anything to do with it but i was as i was thinking of like he moses needed to put a veil over his face or whatever i was thinking of like a welder how like you can't just weld without a mask, you know, like it'll blind you. And it's like, oh, like I wonder if it would literally do like physical damage to us, you know, not just, I don't know. Or like, you know, you hear like bombs, certain bombs going on hydrogen where it's just like the, well, you hear about the the unfortunate story of like Hiroshima, right? And and just, it's just like the, the, the basically the, the people's shadows are, are bleached onto the, and there's nothing left, you know, nothing left of the human except for their shadow. And uh, you just think of like what, what power, you know, that, that holds. And if you're not under the protection of Jesus's righteousness, I think, I think that's, uh, that's, I think that's a fortunate end to the wicked actually, basically. I mean, what you, you probably don't feel anything in the next thing here. Um, there's also the time at the uh the resurrection the beginning of matthew 28 where the where it said that jesus well the the guards became like dead men when they saw um yeah yeah. Yeah, and they said that the appearance was like lightning. Well, and it, it's not explicit, right? But I think that there's a there's a reference to this light that's present at Jesus's second coming, and it's Jesus references it in, in Luke twenty three, but it's more explicit in Revelation um, six. Um, specifically verse 16, but I'm going to read 15 as well. Um, so those two verses say, And the kings of the earth and the great men, the rich men and the chief captains, the mighty men 
every servant and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. So again, light isn't explicitly mentioned there, but if you look at where they're hiding, they're hiding in the dark places, right? They're hiding underneath the rocks and in the caves up in the mountains. Why? Because it says, it says, hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. So, you know, if you're hiding in the dark, it means that you're trying to get away from the light. Yeah, it just makes me, again, go back to Moses where everybody else is afraid and he's just like standing up like, <laughs> solo, like, yes, you know, this is, this is the Lord, you know, and it's just like a, a pretty big contrast between him and him and everybody else. But, I think um, we're supposed to try to I don't want to say choir. <laughs> That's kind of the wrong word. I think we're supposed to endeavor, strive to um, have some of that light poured into us now so that we can also, uh, so we can stand in that time. So we're not the ones running for the rocks. Right. If that, I don't know if that made sense, but no, it does. Uh, that, uh, preparation is definitely a big um, theme in the Bible and be, be ready and be watchful. And yeah. Yeah. Kind of be like Moses where it's shining through you. Uh, you know, if it was, if it was on his face, it's kind of overflowing. All right. What comes um, after immortal or does anyone have anything else? comes to mind um whom no one has seen so wait, wait he says he lives in approachable light it's not that he is in a, unapproachable light but he lives in it whom no one has seen or can see is that mean he is not seen or the inapproachable light i would assume it means him, him right so I don't know what translation you're looking at. The King James says, who only has immortality, referring back to Christ, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto. So we can't approach to the light. Um, and then the next part is, whom no man has seen nor can see. So within the King James that no, whom no man can see or has seen is referring to a person and not the light, but the light itself is unapproachable. Okay, and verse 15 and 16, by the way, it's a, it's kind of a poem in the middle of the, towards the end of the, I didn't notice that before. Interesting. Um, so, uh, we call this his robe of righteousness, right? Well, that's right? Christ robe of righteousness yeah and i think he's making a distinction between god and 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 jesus like jesus god the father and jesus right that's the feeling i get in this text. that was the impression i got yeah yeah so whom no one has seen or can see to him be the honor and the might forever amen or honor and, and dominion. And by the way, I'm reading out of the non-inspired version, Jonah. So. 
<laughs> I'm not even gonna ask Jake. <laughs> what's what's the non-inspired version? The NIV. That's what it stands for. Oh, okay. Because the comma is out of place, by the way. <laughs> so it makes it sound like the thief on the cross went straight to heaven with Jesus. Oh, okay. That's the big that's the big issue with the, the NIV. Wait, is it not out of place in the King James as well? No. That was the big thing out of the whole, even though it makes it much more readable, that comma could lead people astray. All right. Well, it's, it's a good thing to note, by the way. I just think it was a, yeah. All right. To him be honor and might forever or dominion. In other words, this, this word dominion um, and eternal dominion. Um, so like keeping in the context of honor throughout the book, we've, we've, this, this term has come up actually quite a bit and what would that might, um, what might that mean, uh, in the context of our book here? Where, where else is he used honor? Where are you talking about? It's kind of a, kind of an awkward way to use it. Remember? In reference to widows and elders. Yeah, and slaves to their master, right? Um, he does honor for both of them. And so if, you, if we're keeping, I don't know if we're keeping directly with that theme, but it's the same word, by the way. Um, and this would mean like, uh, this has pretty intense, I mean, first off, okay, before we get into what it means, what, what does it mean to you all? Like when you read that, what first comes to your mind and like what, giving God honor. What is that? It sounds like a lot like respect to me. Yeah. 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 That's where my mind goes. Lauren? Glory. Okay. What is glory? Oh, I think of like, um, in whatever we do, it is with him in mind and like proper representation or just like, um, it's not, it doesn't encompass it, but I think it's a part of it at least. Um, I don't know, it goes deeper than I can articulate at this moment. Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly where my mind goes too. But when I looked at the word, it actually means, um, it's a term called TME, and uh, it means uh, value, value or like valuables, like money, um, or, um, or it can mean, which is kind of more along the lines of what we're talking about is esteem. Like you hold them in high esteem, right? Um, or dignity. Um, but, but I think in the, in the context of this letter, it tends to talk about monetary stuff, um, which is kind of interesting to me. Um, yeah, we don't, uh, yeah. To him be the honor and might forever, to be all valuable or or esteem, you know, like uh, in other words, put put our value actually um, in him, whether it's monetary or or our, you know, we use the term esteem as, as in like self esteem, how you feel about your yourself, whether that's high or low, right? And like when you hold God in high esteem, that means like you're you're actually giving him. Um, I've talked about the book before, the uh, freedom of self-forgetfulness. Like 
the self-esteem is actually not a great thing. We talk a lot about it, especially in psychological um, or, or like counseling services. Like you need to have higher self-esteem. Well, I think that kind of the goal is to actually have um, low self-esteem. Uh, okay, that sounds awkward because what we think of when we think... <laughs> Well, we, what we think of when we think of no self-esteem, we think of low self I have no self-esteem. Well, no, you do. When you say that, you're just, you have low self-esteem. When you have no self-esteem, you're actually not thinking about yourself at all, right? You're actually thinking about something completely uh, different. And so, um, yeah, good, Tammy. Others outside of yourself. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's actually a really good thing. I think self-awareness but to have self-esteem whether you feel good or bad about yourself um actually needs to maybe maybe it's best if it's kind of irrelevant um right like you know what 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 is my value well it's my value is is actually ultimately found in the lord not how other people view me or even how i view me right and so i actually can hold him up but my my esteem or my my value is, is found only in him. Yeah. And then um, honor and mine says might forever or um, the ESV says dominion. What is dominion? What does that mean? What, or, this is a weird term. Well, if you're a king of king and lords of lord, what are you king of king and lord of lord over? Very good. Anybody else? It makes me think of authority. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're in authority, you have power and the rule of the land, of the kingdom. Yeah. What, what is God's kingdom? Well, I think the obvious answer is it's his people, right? We don't, there's no, were you to say something, Jonah? You unmuted. Oh, I'm still dwelling on the honor bit. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, I think those two things are linked and I was actually going to go back to it too. So go ahead. Yeah. Well, so I was just doing a quick word search here and it's act, it's really interesting how frequently this word is used. But it seems like about half of the time that it's used, it's translated as, you know, price. Mm -hmm. um, and the most, so, and there's a couple of instances, and the, the most obvious one is 1 Corinthians 7, um, which verse is it? 7.23, you are bought with a price, therefore do not be servants of men or slaves of men. But, you know, that word that word price there is the same word as honor it is translated as honor. Yeah. It's weird that we translated that because I actually think that um, if, if we're keeping in, in tune with, with at least this, um, this chapter, this last chapter, I mean, a huge theme of it was for the root of all, uh, of all kinds of, for the love of money is the root of all sorts of evils. Right. And, and so I actually think that if we're giving honor or giving monetary value to the Lord and dominion, 
In other words, our, our valuable possessions, this is, I, I don't know if this is a good interpretation. This is just where my mind goes with it. When we're giving our valuable possessions to God and our land and the land, like it's all under his, the dominion. In other words, like uh, his dominion actually, yeah. It, well, he's given over dominion, but, but still, it, it's still he, because of him being creator and pointing back to all that, like basically everything's his. Marilee said that last night in our, our prayer group is just like everything, my house is not mine. And if I stop, if I start actually thinking about that, my house isn't actually mine, that would be pretty embarrassing if I didn't allow somebody who needed a place to stay, come stay here. So, wow. Yeah. I, I was, I was going to ask you the implications when we stopped speaking theologian, but I think we, I, I think you got there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I just think that um, to realize that, that whatever we have really ultimately it's, it's, it, I, I think sometimes we stop at the idea, Oh, it's a gift from the Lord. Now it's mine. But if we actually treated like this is not mine at all, and this is actually the Lord's and maybe this is what he's getting at here. I think we would treat things. I know I would treat things far differently if I had that in my in my mind more often. You know, like if I actually, hmm. it's kind of like the parable of the parable of the talents, right? Yeah. He he gives you something, but you're stewards of it, and it goes back to him. Right? Yeah. It's never truly yours. He gives things to us for safekeeping rather than just giving them permanently like a gift. And I think that's where the idea of stewardship comes in. So, you know, the, the, the word steward comes from, I, 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 I don't know if it's of French or German origin, but basically the idea is that, you know, the landowner wouldn't actually necessarily live on the land, but the steward would, and the steward would manage the, you know, the land, you know, in the interest of the landowner. Hmm. So in that respect, in that respect, he's making decisions with, you know, he basically has, you know, control over the property, but he's making the decisions in the interest, in the best interest of the landowner, if he's a good steward. Yeah. Well, and, and just read the next verse. Somebody read the next verse for us. And this keeps uh, right in with, um, with it. Somebody read 17. Rachel. Yeah. Okay, good. I was going to call on you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. That that's pretty meaningful. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Yes. But if he but wait, wait, wait. but if he gives us all these things to enjoy, right? Right? So why is it bad if I spend money on myself on stuff that I enjoy? Your motivation, I would say, would be very Are important. We Your motivation. Go ahead, Rachel. That's all I had to say there, is I think motivation for spending money 
or anything on yourself is very important. Okay. Good. Were you going to say something, Jenna? I was, but I'm still formulating my thought. <laughs> very good. It's a smart but thing. I, 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 I didn't want to move ahead yet. Jake is really rushing us tonight. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I know. Wow. Um, so, you know, all throughout, we've been talking about how, you know, in this, in the last part of the letter, Paul keeps bringing up things that he mentioned in the first chapter of the letter. Yeah. Well, if we go, if you go back and read, uh, which verse is it in chapter one? Verse 17 is almost verbatim what we just read in verses 15 and 16. So 1 Timothy 1.17 says, Now under the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, the honor and glory forever and ever. So verses 15 and 16 just expand on that a little bit, but, you know, it's, it, 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 it is almost verbatim, you know, what he's reiterating there. So in that sense, you know, and we were talking about stewardship earlier. Well, really, you know, the middle four chapters of the letter are in a sense addressing how to best manage the resources that are available to us, both in terms of financial resources, but especially in terms of human resources, right? You know, in a sense, Paul is giving Timothy an HR manual in this letter. So in that, and then the, you know, the introduction, kind of the capstone there, remi or a reminder of what the, what, what the end, what the end goal or the motivation behind all of this advice is. That makes sense. Maybe we'll talk next week about, uh, is it bad to spend on, on ourselves, right? I think this is an important question because I think some people go to, there's two extremes we can go to here. And I actually don't think either of them is good personally, but I want to hear what you guys have to say. We do have another meeting um, here in just a few. And we cannot, we cannot end without two things. Beck, take us away with the first one. We need to hear our joke. All right. So the first joke, I think it was, um, how did they get light to the bottom of the ark in Noah's ark? Fireflies is all I can think of. <laughs> yeah, I still say fireflies too. <laughs> Fireflies, final answer, Alex. It is not. Floodlights is the correct <laughs> Thanks brutal. for playing Jeopardy. That's brutal. Okay. You would have gotten it if you'd said, what, is, what are fireflies, Jake? <laughs> what, oh, what are, yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, Lauren. Oh, you prayed for us at the beginning. All right, Rachel. Will you pray for us at the end? I can do that. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for these words left for us to learn about, to apply in our lives, and learn more about your matchless character. And thank you. Ask me to think about these. In Jesus' name, amen.